This is Warrior's Way Podcast, Episode 21, and I'm James Eke. Usually to bow means to pay our respects to something, which is more worthy of respect than ourselves. But when you bow to Buddha, you should have no idea of Buddha. You just become one with Buddha. You are already Buddha himself. When you become one with Buddha, one with everything that exists, you find the true meaning of being. When you forget all your dualistic ideas, everything becomes your teacher, and everything can be the object of worship. When everything exists within our big mind, our dualistic relationships drop away. There's no distinction between heaven and earth, man and woman, teacher and disciple. Sometimes a man bows to a woman, sometimes a woman bows to a man. Sometimes the disciple bows to the master. Sometimes the master bows to the disciple. A master who cannot bow to his disciple cannot bow to Buddha. Sometimes the master and disciple bow together to Buddha. Sometimes we bow to cats and sometimes we bow to dogs. In your big mind, everything has the same value. Everything is Buddha himself. You see something or hear a sound, and there you have everything just as it is. In your practice, you should accept everything as it is, giving to each thing the same respect given to a Buddha. Here, there is Buddhahood. Then Buddha bows to Buddha, and you bow to yourself. This is the true bow. If you do not, do not have this firm conviction of big mind in your practice, your bow will be dualistic. When you're just yourself, your bow to you, you bow to yourself in his true sense, and you are one with everything. Only when you are yourself can you bow to everything in its true sense. Bowing is a very serious practice. Should you be prepared to bow even in your last moment? When you cannot do anything except bow, you should do it. This kind of conviction is necessary. Bow with this spirit and all the precepts and all the teachings are yours and you will possess everything within your big mind. My teacher had a callus on his forehead from bowing. He knew he was an obstinate, stubborn fellow, and so he bowed and bowed and bowed. The reason he bowed was that inside himself, he always heard his master's scolding voice. He had joined the Soto Zen order when he was 30, which for a Japanese priest is rather late. When we are young, we are less stubborn, and it's easier to get rid of our stubbornness. So his master always called my teacher. He called him you lately joined fellow, and scolded him for joining so late. Actually, my master loved him for his stubborn character. When my teacher was 70, he said, when I was young, I was like a tiger, but now I'm like a cat. He was very pleased to be a cat. Bowing helps eliminate our self-centered ideas. This is not so easy. 
It's difficult to get rid of these ideas, and bowing is a very valuable practice. The result is not the point. It's the effort to improve ourselves that is valuable. There is no end to this practice. Each bow expresses one of the four Buddhist vows. These vows are, although sentient beings are innumerable, we vow to save them. Although our evil desires are limitless, we vow to get rid of them. Although the teaching is limitless, we vow to learn it all. Although Buddhism is unattainable, we vow to attain it. So if it's unattainable, how do we attain it? But we should. This is Buddhism. To think, because it is possible, we will do it, is not Buddhism. Even though it is impossible, we have to do it because our true nature wants us to. But actually, whether or not it is possible is not the point. If it is our inmost desire to get rid of our self-centered ideas, we have to do it. When we make this effort, our innermost desire is appeased and nirvana is there. Before we determine to do it, you have difficulty. But once you start to do it, you have none. Your effort appeases your innermost desire. There is no other way to attain calmness. Calmness of mind does not mean you should stop your activity. Real calmness should be found in activity itself. We say, it is easy to have calmness in, act in activity. It is hard to have calmness in activity. But calmness in activity is true calmness. After you have practiced for a while, you'll realize it is not possible to make rapid, extraordinary progress, even though you tried very hard. The progress you make is always little by little. It is not like going out in a shower in which you know when you're going to get wet. In a fog, you do not know you are going to get wet, but you keep walking and you get wet little by little. If your mind has ideas of progress, you may say, oh, this pace, it's terrible. But actually, it's not. When you get wet in a fog, it's very difficult to dry yourself. So, so there's no need to worry about progress. It's like studying a foreign language. You cannot do it all of a sudden. But by repeating it over and over, slowly you will master it. And this is the Soto Zen way of practice. We can say either that we make progress little by little, or that we do not even expect to make progress. Just to be sincere, just to make our full effort in each moment, that's enough. There is no nirvana outside of practice. So that is an amazing book. And it's one that I first read when I was a child called Zen Mind, Beginner Mind. And it is by a great writer of Zen by the name of Shinryu Suzuki. I absolutely love the part in it that says, it is easy to have calmness in inactivity. It is hard to have calmness in activity.
But calmness in activity is true calmness. For me, that harkens to jiu-jitsu fully and completely. It's easy to find yourself chilled out when you're doing nothing. It's easy to learn how to let go when there's nothing really to let go of. It's hard to be calm when there's a whirlwind of aggression circling around you. It's hard to keep chilled out when there's a 300-pound gorilla trying to rip your arm off. It is easy to have calmness in inactivity. It is hard to have calmness in activity. But calmness in activity is true calmness. To me, that is what the way is about. The way as in capital T-H-E, capital W-A-Y. It's the reason we train, to find that place, to find that perfectness. And I think if you have a good teacher and if you have a good place to train, you can find that. You can find that in the study of Zen. You can find that in your martial art. You can find it in walks in the forest. But you have to work hard to get there. It's not a matter of something coming to you. In fact, anyone who tells you that they just sat there and were suddenly enlightened, they're full of crap, to be honest with you. Um, Either that or they are one special person indeed. Because what my experience is in training, what my research is in training, is that it comes as a result of the opposite. You have to work for it. Effort creates magic. When you look at all the old masters and you are dazzled by what they know and what they can do and how they move with such fluidity and grace, you think that, you know, oh man, there'll be there'll be this moment where I will... No, that's not how it works. The thing that you're missing in that equation is how much they train, how much effort they put in, how much the training is. And what you find the more that you train is that the training is in everything. Everything. It is in how you drink a glass of water. It is in how you treat other people. It is in how you take care of your body. It is in how you take care of the world. And that is the training. And that is the way. The other big aspect in here that is central to what we are talking about is bowing. It's that idea of giving respect and of letting go of our ego. It's of recognizing that perfection that is in you and in that other person, as well as the flaws in both of you. When you bow, 
whether it is with your hands in a gasho type of position or namaste if that you're a yoga type person or if you bow from the hip or if you put a fist and an open hand together it doesn't really matter what matters is the effort what matters is the intention what matters is the action of doing it and you should bow to all things i knew a zen master when i was younger and when we would travel down the street he would bow at anything and everything including roadkill <laughs> and at first i didn't quite understand it because i was just a young guy and then i came to understand what was actually happening the reverence of that bow the intention of that bow the meaning of it I once knew a, looking at the other side of that, I once knew um, someone who told me that he, this is another martial arts instructor, that his students didn't bow in their martial arts school because it was some sort of Shinto thing, as they put it. <laughs> um, well, I just let it go because some things aren't even worth arguing about. It's definitely not a Shinto thing. Um, and they also believed that it had no place in a modern martial arts school. Uh, of course, it wasn't a surprise that they also swore on their mats, that they acted like drunk orangutans, <laughs> and more like a school um, that was actually a bar, more than a place to transform and improve your life. Bowing is crucial. Understanding it is crucial, even more so in these times in which we live now. Because bowing teaches us respect, teaches us compassion, it teaches us humility, it teaches us the, the oneness of all of us, how we are together in this. And once you delete that one simple thing, what you're left at is somehow so much more hollow. The, one of the Zen masters I trained with said that when you um, bow to someone, you don't bow with your body, you don't bow with your hands. What you bow with is your heart. And I really like that. It's an opening of your heart. It's a recognizing, a recog recognition of the fact that this other person is just like you. But I'd say don't stop there. You know, we should have that same type of bowing, whether it's physical or not, when we take a walk in the woods, when we stand on a beach when we watch a sunset, when we sit up late and watch shooting stars, when we recognize Mars somehow glowing red on the horizon, we should bow and we should give thanks and we should be grateful and we should understand just how lucky we all are.
A sensei I trained with a long time ago told me that when we bow, we bow not just to our partner or our opponent, but to all students, to all the long line of sensei who came before, and we bow to ourselves. We acknowledge the fact that we all have strengths and weaknesses, and we bow to the perfection and interconnection that's inside of all that we really are trying to find out about. Important stuff. And it's not big stuff. You know, what I found in my training is that the more that I'm at it, and, you know, I've mentioned before that it's, you know, about 39 years now. And the more that I'm at this training thing, which seems to encompass every aspect of my life. And when I say that, I don't mean it in a way that I'm always on the mats. I mean it actually the opposite way, that my training is in everything I do. It's how I think. It's how I act. But more importantly, it's how I intend to do those things. Because the easiest thing is to do the opposite. The easiest thing is to be full of anger. The easiest thing is to be rude. The easiest thing is to be unkind. The easiest thing is to be negative. The easiest thing is to be fatalistic. But I always choose the light. And I encourage you, if you're listening this to this, to embrace that yourself. When you recognize that that darkness is there, even more so. And it's not that you try to dispel that. Embrace the darkness. But understand that darkness gets broken by light. That's simple. We're all allowed to have some darkness in us. Heck, some of the people with the most light, I bet, have also have a whole lot of darkness. You just know how to balance it. And that's part of the training. That's part of the way. So let's move along. And by the way, if you haven't read it yet, please do pick up Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind by Suzuki because it will change your life. It'll change your training. And some of you listening to this might be like, oh man, Buddha this, Buddha that, whatever. I'm not into that. You know what you do? You take out the name Buddha, if that's what you need to do. And you put in there Jesus, or you put in there the way, or you put in there nature, or whatever turns your crank. (laughs) Um... You're very narrow-minded if you think you aren't going to learn from um, something that somebody else is saying. That's why we train in the martial arts. That's why we do all the things we do. That's why we need to read. That's why we need to, you know, try different foods. It's to expand our scope. So I read this when I was a kid. And I would imagine most of you are not kids anymore. If you are, well, hey, kid, pick up a copy of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. (laughs) Um, If you're an adult, it's required reading. And that is that simple. You want to hang out with the cool kids, you got to read this book. 
So there you go. And some of you might think, well, I don't need that for my training, but I think you will. I think you'll understand that it is training. He might be writing about Zen Buddhism, um, but that is jujitsu, whether you recognize it or not. And I think that you will. I hope that you will. So speaking about jujitsu, that takes us to our question of the day. And that is, hey, James, I keep talking about you. Sorry, you keep talking about jujitsu. Why is it important to study jujitsu? And why do you talk about it so much? <laughs> um, well, if you don't do jujitsu, that's a pretty good question. If you do jujitsu, do jujitsu. If you do do jujitsu, then you probably already have the answer. Um, the reason I talk about jujitsu is because jujitsu is awesome. <laughs> um, why is it so important to study jujitsu? There are a whole lot of reasons why. I have actually I had just had a very good conversation with a friend of mine and training partner um, by the name of Brenda King. And if you're listening to this, Brenda, first of all, thanks for listening. And second of all, thanks for always having great conversations with me. Um, and what we were talking about is the fact that uh, for both of us, we ended up doing jujitsu kind of later in the game. Um, I started my martial arts training as a kid in judo. And if you don't know, judo is kind of the mother of jiu-jitsu. It's what evolved into jiu-jitsu. Um, judo basically, to make a long story short, what it was actually called jiu-jitsu still. The name hadn't changed it to judo, but this man named Maeda traveled to Brazil and he is the person that uh, spread it to the Gracies who spread it out from there um, and it became Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, and Jiu-Jitsu since then, I think, to be honest with you, my feel of it is it is expanded even more. It's not just a, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu anymore. We're looking at a Jiu-Jitsu that is a world jiu-jitsu, a human jiu-jitsu, an evolved jiu-jitsu. So it still has its root, and I think that's great. And it has a root from two different sources that are very culturally diverse, which makes it even better. And it was something that it was incredible. Jiu-jitsu, um, at its very basic level, jiu-jitsu starts where every other martial art stops. Um, the fight is right on you. Someone has grabbed a hold of you. Someone is on top of you. Someone is, you know, holding you, whatever. And that's where jujitsu starts. You can have striking systems. You can have weapon systems. And I think those are all great. I, for those of you that know, I have trained in a whole bunch of different systems. I have black belts in a few. I have, um, teachers uh credentials under probably the greatest martial artist that probably has ever lived a man by the name of guru dan in osanto um so i i'm certified to teach a whole lot of different things i came to jiu-jitsu later so for me i went from these traditional martial arts into all of these different martial arts and now i find myself um really kind of going home in a lot of ways to jiu-jitsu 
Um, and that there's something to be said about that. It is a very tactile martial art. Um, a lot of other martial arts, you keep your distance from another person. But jiu-jitsu, they're always with you. You're holding on to them. They're holding on to you. Their weight is on you or your weight is on them. You're trying to move around them. Um, it's very unique in this day and age where we are kind of forced in a lot of ways to, to be standoffish to other people. So that empowers you there. I once had one person tell me that the only time that they felt closeness and connection with somebody else, which is kind of sad in this day and age, but they told me that they feel it the most when they do jujitsu. Um, and I can understand that. I can really, I can really understand that. Jiu-jitsu has a power that transcends the the physicality of it. But at the same time, jiu-jitsu is this vehicle of self-discovery that teaches you to cut through the BS of your training, the BS of your own BS, the BS of life, and the BS of any given situation. It teaches you that there is always a way out. It teaches you when something is hard that you want more of it. It teaches you to deal with the things that come up in your life a whole lot different than you did before you did jujitsu. So why do I talk about it so much? I talk about it so much because I think that there is a lot that can be gained by training in it for people. I do not believe it is the be-all, end-all. I really don't. I believe that you need to hit the gym. I believe that you need time to um, be mindful. However that is done is up to you. I believe in terms of martial arts, you need a striking system and you also need a weapon system. But what I think jiu-jitsu does is it gives you a core that you can work from. And if you were only going to train in one thing and one thing only, I think jiu-jitsu is a, it's a good bet, whether you're an adult or a child, um, because of all of the positive things about it. So there you go. You wanted to know why, and now I told you. <laughs> um, the most important thing, though, about any martial arts training, I should say, is to, of course, make sure that you can do it. So if you are at all in doubt of, about your general health, make sure that you go to a doctor and, and get the thumbs up with that. Um, but, I, you know, I've heard people tell me their doctor told, has told them that jiu-jitsu is too rough, and I don't agree with that at all. Um, unless you have some sort of reason why it's too rough for you, um, I think you can work around things. Uh, I know plenty of people that have injuries and they train. I know plenty of people who are older and they train. Heck, my teacher, Dan Inosanto, is 82 as I'm doing this podcast, and he does jujitsu. He came to it when he was 59 years old. Um, so, you know... If you're telling me in your 30s or in your 40s that you're too old for it, guess again. Complain to somebody else. <laughs> um, but what you want to do is you want to find a good place to train. 
Um, it's getting better these days. There's more reputable schools coming up all the time. Uh, really only a few years ago, there were still a lot of scam artists out there trying to sell things that weren't as they were. Not all that different than during the 80s when the whole ninja craze was going on and suddenly there were all these people that knew ninjutsu. Um, yeah, but it wasn't. It was Taekwondo. <laughs> Um, not that I'd want to sound bitter because maybe, you know, I was a kid and thought I was going to learn to be a ninja. (laughs) Um, but get out there and and find a school and train jujitsu. But if you can train in other things as well, because I think that is your best bet in terms of a martial artist. And I will leave that question at that. If you have other questions, please send them on to me. We have a Facebook page set up. If you haven't visited that yet, please go to it and like it or follow it or whatever the heck it is that you do. Um, You can send messages to me through there. Um, I'm also all over the internet through my own school there, the Eek Academy of Martial Arts. You can always track me down. Um... If you like this podcast, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. If you are not subscribing yet, subscribe. Click that button, and that would be awesome. The next thing to do, and I'm going to ask you to do two things. The next thing is to spread the word. Um, As you know, these things are free, and I kind of get my gratification knowing that people are listening to it. So if I'm going to do that for you, how about you try to help out and get more people to listen to it. Get the word out about what this whole Warrior's Way podcast army is all about. Um, Because it's not just about punching and kicking. It's not about um, learning to defend yourself. It's about a whole lot more. It's about learning to have a more engaged life, about getting more out of your life, about pushing past the limitations that we impose on ourselves and living more fully engaged lives. Um, And then the, the third thing, after you subscribe and spread the word, I would ask you to pick up a copy of my book. So there are two books, actually, The Warrior's Way, which is what this podcast is named after. And there's a second one that came out not too long ago called A Wolf in the Woods. You can find them both on Amazon. You can find them on your Kobo or your Kindle e-readers. And pick up a copy and read it and leave a review and tell me how much you liked it. Um... And then we can go from there. So I'm going to give you a bit of a challenge here. I want you to go out today after you are, if you're listening to this at night, tomorrow. And I want you to try to do something to make this world a better place. If that means not taking that straw. If that means picking up litter. If that means being kind to some creatures that you pass, if it means simply not flipping off the person that cuts you off. Try to make the world a better place. Today, tomorrow, in little ways. 
and then see what you can do to do it in bigger ways. Because you know what? This world needs it right now. And that is the warrior's way. So there you go. Get out there. Train hard. Have fun. Make a difference in this world. Get out there and do it.